This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here in the Pro-America Report. No Andrea K. show earlier tonight for me. Thank you for that, but it was great to be in with her. Great to be together. Ed Martin here, and please visit ProAmericaReport.com. Sign up for the daily email that I send out every morning. It's up to about 80,000 people that get that thing. You want to get it uh, Monday through Friday. It's what you need to know, what you need to know, a daily wink. Help you get a couple of links, a couple of stories, and give you some focus on what's happening. And also, I do a daily... um, I do do a daily um, live stream at about 9.45 East Coast time. So kind of early out out on the West Coast, but tune into that 9.45 on all the social media channels. And that will also be sort of a preview, set your day. And here's today, I have to tell you, just a few miles from where I live... Northern Virginia. You know, my, my, my work, the Philosophical Eagles headquartered in St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, my home is in Northern Virginia and I work, I tend to be in the swamp a bit. And then, of course, the great program is airing in San Diego. So across the country, we are from, from sea to shining sea. Um, and a few miles from my house is Loudoun County. You might have seen this. I think, uh, I think Tucker talked about it and I'm sure you'll see more coverage. Loudoun County in Virginia is a relatively conservative county, more conservative than mine. It's further out. It's about 30 or 40 miles outside of the, of the beltway. So it gets more conservative. And they had a meeting last night and it's infuriating. And it's infuriating, as I said on my, uh, my live stream, because we're entering a period where we just have the government is against we the people. It's not, you know, the um, the enemy of the state was a movie with Will Smith. The enemy is the state is what's happening in America. And I've used the term. I used it on the live stream. I've used it before. You know, that you can envision. And there was all these scary movies of the Cold War where there was a gulag. And the gulag was this place where they sent people to be reeducated and, to, you know, to break rocks. It was, a, it was kind of a dramatic term, gulag. It just kind of rang in your ear like, oh, yeah, that that's terrible. The, the Soviet communists uh, send people to a gulag. And, and yet... We don't have a gulag. We're not sending them to a, a, a Alaska. We're not sending them up to someplace. And in fact, the reason gulag was used is it was, uh, I think the term had to do with, um, uh, the, the, the agency that did it, but it was associated with being way, um, out in the boonies. Like you think of gulag, you think of like Siberia, but the gulag was, the gulag was the term of the, of the organization, the wing, the department of the government that did it. But anyway, so we're not sending our people to Siberia or Alaska to a gulag. Instead, Here in America, you'll be arrested for using your freedom of assembly or freedom of speech. And right now, 500 plus defendants for things like trespass or misdemeanor uh, uh, disruption of of official official, uh, proceedings are being held in the District of Columbia. And I mentioned this yesterday. So infuriating. I, I was I was mad about it yesterday. Because the federal prosecutor, retired federal prosecutor, bragged about how, yeah, yeah, it's really tough. It's really tough for a um, non-criminal person to be uh, in these D.C. prisons, and they're really, really hard on them and pretty rough and bad and all. Oh, and um, yeah, but they deserve it, though. Uh, what? How's that work? You know, innocent until proven guilty, due process. You know, we have a system here. They deserve it. So if, I was mad about that yesterday, and then I watched the Loudoun County thing. And they're arresting people who are upset about what's happening to their kids. They're a, a breaking up the right to assemble public meeting because they don't like the viewpoint. And it's almost as if now we're put in a position, and I've said this over and over to you, that the power of the media and the power of big tech and then big government comes in to enforce it. And so the narrative machine is saying you and me. If your positions are, I'm questioning the election integrity, I'm concerned about the, the, the choices of education where we seem to be demeaning our kids and critical race theory, which is critical race theory, as far as I can tell, 
It tells kids, students, you're one of two things. You're either a victim, if you're black or one of the minorities, or you're a bigot, if you're one of the non-minority kids. Those are the two things we tell our kids, you know, again and again, demeaning your kids, not the path to getting kids to be successful. And so here we are. But, you know, we, we have a problem that's almost day by day accelerating. And the acceleration is towards big government using the power against us. And I went on a rant, I think it was on uh, Andrea's show, could have been on my, on our show last night, about the power of the FBI and then Julie Kelly's description of the FBI, the FBI wouldn't lie to us about Flynn. Oh, they did. They wouldn't lie to us about FISA. Oh, they did. They wouldn't lie to us about the Steele dossier. Oh, they did. They wouldn't lie to us about the Russia hoax. Oh, they did. Over and over again. We're in a position where they're not just lying to us. Now it's being used against us. And if you happen to have a position that is counter to what the narrative machine has presented, then you're forced into a position and the choices are simple. Okay? You understand that? There's only two choices according to the narrative machine. One is you self-censor and very quick. Stop saying those things. Stop tweeting those things. Stop being out there. Or you're in trouble. You're in trouble. You'll be canceled. You'll be harassed. You might be arrested. You certainly won't be allowed to speak. Abigail Schreier has been on this program before. She wrote a book on transgenderism and the the cult of transgenderism and impact on girls. And her book has been shadow banned and blocked and all that. And she said she did a guest guest column on Substack where she said there were already, already burning books. You don't have to actually burn the books. The burning of the books was silencing of the viewpoint dramatically by the power. That's what they're doing every day now. All around us, silencing or worse. All right, we got to take a break. When we come back, we will talk with Pedro Gonzalez, an author over Chronicles Magazine and a great voice on Twitter, and John Schlafly. We'll be back in a moment. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Our next guest is Pedro Gonzalez. If you go uh, and watch Pedro on Twitter uh, or where he writes, he's very, very smart. He's very interesting. He has a perspective that keeps getting me thinking. And so I I emailed him and I said, hey, you want to come on the show? Now, importantly, he also is uh, an editor at Chronicles. And if you don't know enough about Chronicles, it's it's an important magazine. Chronicles, it's a magazine of American culture. And it's one thing to say it's a conservative magazine. That's kind of true, but it's also, um, I would say, uh, it's been around for many years and it's kind of, it's got a vision that's, uh, it's not just conservative. It's really about our culture, as it says, and about what's happening. Started in 1977, by the way. And, uh, so welcome Pedro to the program. How are you? Oh, I'm well, thanks so much for having me. Uh, it's great to have you on the program. Now, um, Pedro, uh, right now, when you write for Chronicles and you're writing about culture, it, it, it feels, and I've had this conversation with my listeners, that the culture, that a lot of conservatives just totally out of step with the culture. Is that because the media and tech tell us that and really the culture is sort of buzzing along fine or is, or are we really out of step? I mean, how do you, how do you, uh, how do you describe what's happening in this country? That's a good question. I think that there are, increasingly, there, there's actually two countries. And the one that people like us are uncomfortable with is the emergent and, unfortunately, right now, I think, ascendant one. 
It's the one that is, I think, trying to replace the America that we identify with. The, the, when we talk about the American way of life, when we talk about American culture and tradition, things like that, we're talking about things that these other people are, they view as either regressive or bigoted or outmoded. And so they're trying to replace that. And so I think it is true to say that there are two, two Americas and they're competing right now. And unfortunately, I think the, uh, just it's useful to, to still use terms like left and right. So I'll just use them. I think that the left is basically, if they haven't already won the culture war, they're definitely winning. And in no small part, this is because they don't really face a whole lot of opposition. I'm, I'm, ta- I'm, I'm talking about elected officials and intellectuals and pundits. I think everyday people have a good sense of what is right and what is wrong and, and where to put your foot down, right? But the problem is, is that their elected officials don't. Uh, they either don't have that sense or they don't care to have that sense or they actually despise the people that they're supposed to be representing. And conservative intellectuals, these, I mean, these people live in the same ivory towers as liberal intellectuals, so they also don't care really about what like everyday people have to say and think, right? Uh, for them, free trade is a great because it's consistent with the principles of the free market. For you, it means that your town is desolated because your job has been sent overseas. So this is a huge problem. And I think that problem lends itself into losing control of the country. Like we're, we're letting slip the country from our fingers because there is no real opposition to this stuff. And I'll give it back to you, uh, but I'll end on this. I think that Juneteenth was probably the, the perfect example of this, of the, the American left and mainstream right, Republicans and Democrats coming together to basically uh, pay homage to the, the, this ascendant new culture we're talking with Pedro Gonzalez. Pedro, as I, as you're talking, I'm thinking to myself, can you have a nation without a culture? In other words, when we say the culture is shifting, and and so let you know if we if we you know in a 10 minute interview we can't do justice to this, but let's say that the culture of America is something that is is it, let's summarize it. Let's just for the sake of the argument summarize it as Judeo Christian its origin, bound together by the rule of law and a certain kind of understanding of the way we live together. You know that and and I don't know maybe that's that's probably too little, but it feels like if you lose the culture. You're not really going to, you can have a constitution. If you don't have the culture around the constitution, it's not going to bind you together. You know, the, the, the communists, the Chinese, the, the Chinese communists have documents that they, they look at and say, look at this was what we're committed to. They don't live to it. They don't have a, they don't have a culture around that. The culture, communist culture is, is without, uh, a commitment, without, uh, ethics formally, uh, or maybe that's, that's not fair. Morals for sure. So, um, are, are we losing the culture and not even realizing it? We're still fighting about the uh, about the uh, our reactions to it when it doesn't matter if you get to a point 10, 15, 20 years from now where you've lost the culture. You can't say, oh, but we got a good constitution. Right. Yeah, that's right. The things like the constitution, any kind of documents like that, anything that's based on uh, ways of living, ways of living that uh, exists within boundaries of uh, different, like like Anglo-Saxon law, common law, things like that. Uh, these things only matter for as long as the people that they're laid onto understand them and care about them and appreciate right. them. And, and when you lose those things, what good is the Constitution? It, it's just a dead letter at that point. I think we are getting to that when we, I think we actually are already at that point. 
Um, the question is, is what do we do about it? And that sounds like an obvious question, right? But not enough people are asking it. It's bizarre that we, we especially as cons- uh, people who are on the right, I'll say, middle Americans, we always hear about the culture war and, you know, taking back the country, but it, it seems like that's actually all we ever hear about. Uh, but the solutions are always unclear or they're half measures or they actually sound a whole lot like what the opposition is saying. Uh, so I think that this is a kind of fundamental problem that the conservative movements has is so we're recognizing that there is a problem. You know, something is wrong here. We're right. losing control of our country. Okay, so what do we do about it? It's like, well, let's look at the left, and we'll start using their tropes and their symbolism and their narratives. Exactly. And, right. And and then you re- quickly realize, like, oh, no, we're still losing control of the country. And, in fact, we're we're just kind of accommodating uh, that, that loss of control, and we're starting to sound like our enemies in the opposition. And, and, and ultimately you realize that for the last, like, 30 years or so, the last 30, 40 years, uh, we've been kind of just reconciling ourselves to losing control. Or at least that is what our elected officials have been doing and what our smart people, uh, the thinking class, has been doing is, is kind of just telling us that uh, this is just how it's going to be. Right. For example, I live over and I live in northern Virginia and then, you know, a few miles away in Loudoun County last night, there was this wild time at the uh, at the school board. And and I'm all for it. I'm all for standing up and saying this transgenderism is crazy. Critical race theory is crazy. But, you know, the broader context is that the the government run schools have maybe they weren't doing transgenderism two and a half years ago. Maybe they weren't doing critical race theory three and a half years ago. But starting about 25 years ago, they started to teach your kids not in ways that would be uh, how to say most um, most likely to lead to good well-formed uh, members of our community who appreciate what America's about and suddenly we're going to fight over critical race theory and say please stop doing that and then I think just like Common Core they'll stop doing that and they'll do everything else they've been right. doing which is still destructive to our kids it, it kind of it, it feels to me like um, we've trapped ourselves and the culture uh, excuse me that the, the um, tech community uh, the social media and, and internet that makes it so we get front of mind so fast. Okay, there we go. I'm going to fight this. And 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 I I wonder, you know, if you can sort of ever get out of this spiral. And and what could get us out of it? Maybe that's a question. We're talking. We're talking Pedro Gonzalez and Pedro's Twitter handle is at emeriticus emeriticus. Uh, just to keep us on our toes, search from Pedro L Gonzalez on Twitter. Um, but but Pedro is is the broader. Can you pull normal people back to the bigger fight, or do you have to just hope to steer people that are worried about the thing they're worried about and steer them in the direction that leads to better uh, possibilities? And I, I'm sorry, I'm filibustering, but I was looking at your Twitter feed, the pinned tweet you wrote about how we ruthlessly outsource the American dream. And that most people don't realize. They lived it. They don't realize what we were doing to ourselves over a 25-year period. So how do you pull people in the right direction in a a democratic republic like we've got? I think everyday people already have a sense of these things. In in Loudoun, recently, I think in the last two days or so, there was a protest. People, parents were protesting uh, critical race theory and, and transgenderism being taught in schools. And there's a video that's making the rounds on Twitter, and you can see that these parents are violently angry. They're furious that their kids are being taught that they're bad because they're Americans in general and, and white specifically. Like it is, inf- I mean, it's infuriating to me to think that the kids have to like to suffer through that, right? So, 
so I think that, that that's still a good sign. It means that Americans still have a pulse, which is a very good thing. <laughs> the, right. the problem is, is that it seems to me that the, the point of the political system, I always hammer Republicans because I'm on the right. So, you know, obviously, my, my, for me, my party is my biggest problem. Uh, but it seems to be the case that both political parties and Republicans especially specialize in taking people's anger, real legitimate anger and fear, and basically just turning it into a fundraising drive and then telling you to calm down because you have solved, you know, because you reelected them or because you donated to them and, and they won some ephemeral election, everything's fine now. And then they tell you, you know, calm down. Uh, everything's going to be okay, but obviously it's not. And I think ultimately you realize that you're just kind of going through this cycle of outrage where yeah. the next thing happens, the next outrageous thing happens that people said wouldn't happen, and you get angry, and Republicans will fundraise on it, and nothing ever happens. So basically, I think people need to not uh, – it sounds almost kind of silly, but I think people need to hold on to that anger and that anxiety that they feel and demand that their party – becomes like an instrument because I think the, the, the issue well, is, is that go ahead. No. I, so here's my, here's one of my guys that I, I think back on um, and Huey Long, Huey Long's history. Yeah. If you look at it and there's a pretty good, there's a pretty good, um, there's a pretty good, um, what is it? Uh, PBS thing by uh, what's his name? The, uh, the guy that does all the documentaries. Uh, his name fails me, but you'll, you'll probably tell me. And, and it's an hour and a half or so on Huey Long and Huey Long got this populist wave and it was crazy, right? I mean, it was cr- by, by our, our, our standards. It was crazy. It was called share the wealth, but within like three months, yeah. maybe six months in a period of time where there was no, you know, ease of organizing. He had 3000 chapters organized of people that were focused on this thing. And here's one, my point on this. And we're talking with Pedro Gonzalez who writes over Chronicles, writes uh, as active on Twitter, very good voice on Twitter, writes at the American mind, other places you can find him, Pedro L. Gonzalez. But my point here is that the Republic conservatives tend to um, be less uh, likely to build sustaining political institutions. It feels like, or if they do, they get co-opted. I mean, we can make a list of yeah. the swamp, you know, think tanks that have been co-opted by a big budget and a need to keep all the fellows uh, supported. So, and the left, they say, come into our system and we will continue to give you a salary. This will be the way that you have a good life. It'll be a salary. It'll be a union job. It'll be a think tank job whatever it is and they just kind of they don't mind that that's that kind of mindset and that's attractive if you're me you say why yeah. all these years have I slogged away and been you too probably been independent when if I'd gotten a government job when I was 24 by now I'd have a heck of a pension right my life would be a lot simpler in terms of worrying about stuff so my point is where Pedro in our history or, or in our recent history could the, the the leaders be that organize in a way that gives us a sustained I don't know call it populist conservative yeah. vision a, 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 and so the Tea Party didn't work, right? We did Tea Party for about eighteen months, and then it disappeared. Right. Well, I think the the, so the first part is is harnessing that anger and that outrage that everyday people have, and actually finding a way to channel it into something constructive instead of something silly like the GOP fundraising drives. I think Huey Long is actually a great example. Huey Long is someone who tapped into that, who recognized and tapped into that anxiety that people feel, and in, in, in a lot of ways, it's what Donald Trump did. It's also what Bernie Sanders right. did, by the way. There's a lot of similarities. Yes, exactly. Between, yep, that's uh, right. Bernie and Trump. And so, but the issue was, is that when, for example, Trump became president, he, it seems like he didn't know what he was getting into. And like you said, he was kind of assimilated and co-opted by the establishment. Very quickly, he started taking his cues from like Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell 
and these just terrible advisors. And I think basically this is a long game, and we need to actually start laying the the institutional and theoretical groundwork now, which really just means uh, like coming up with an identity. Who who are we? And when we talk about American culture, what are we talking about? What what kind of country do we want to have? And I think that that is what was missing uh, for Trump in 2016 and then throughout his administration was there wasn't any real coherent doctrine. Uh, Trump went from running as a, as a a guy who was going to, in many ways, his platform reminded me of, of Hugh Long's platform, the big infrastructure plan and all this stuff, to basically tax cuts and kind of elevating things like criminal justice reform. Trump did not run right. on tax cuts and criminal justice reform, but that, those ended up being like the staples of his administration. So I think that this is something that's not going to happen. The problem that we're discussing is not going to be fixed in four to eight years. This is something that we have to start doing now, and I think we have to to find these find or build these alternative institutions, whether they're they're organizational chapters. <laughs> or mm-hmm. networks, things like that. Even even new uh, actual think tanks to do some actual thinking and right. uh, talk about these issues that are affecting people's lives, like like outsource, like job outsourcing. We we it sounds you know kind of uh, anodyne and harmless, but it's but it's true. We don't we don't actually have these things. You look at the, like the leading conservative think tanks today, the ones that are giving the GOP their ideas. Who is it? It's Heritage, the American Enterprise Institute. And like the Cato Institute, these organizations are terrible. They've had a hand in some of the worst policy decisions uh, that, that the Republican Party has made. And uh, but people still give them money and still listen to them and say like, well, you know, if Heritage or AEI or Cato says it, then it, it's, it's got to be a good idea. So I think we, we have a lot of basically uh, elbow work to do. It's not going to be easy, uh, and it's not going to it's not going to be it's not going to happen in the next four years. I think uh, it's definitely a long game. But we have to do it so that if we ever have a chance to have our Huey Long or have our Donald Trump 2.0 or something like that, this time we're actually ready. And there's, a, there's an organizational yeah. groundwork that's been laid. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, it is daunting. All right, Pedro Gonzalez, always interesting. And more, I knew it would be interesting to talk to you, and I'm interesting to read you and follow what I'll put up on social media. I hope you are uh, ever succeeding in your writing and your uh, communicating because it's very valuable. So thanks for the time. Oh, thank you so much. All right, we'll take a break, everybody, and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. If you listened closely last night on the Andrew K. Show, we talked with John Schlafly, and but we're following up now to visit with John on his weekly column. John and Andy Schlafly do put out a weekly column, the Schlafly Report. This one is called Stop Perpetual Election Fraud Bill. Stop the Perpetual Election Fraud Bill. This is characterizing the bill that's in the Senate and the House as a perpetual election fraud bill. We'll go into that in a minute. John Schlafly is one of the uh, leaders of the Phyllis Schlafly Eagles and has, uh, for many decades, uh, worked side-by-side with his mother, the late Phyllis Schlafly, and continues that work now. John, welcome back. Before we get to that, John, 
Uh, uh, earlier on uh, Wednesday, Kamala Harris announced that she is finally going to the border. I think she announced it a couple of hours after Donald Trump said he's going to the border. And Congressman Jim Banks, the head of the Republican Study Committee, said, we're going to. We'll go with President Trump and about a dozen members. Uh, I, I, sus- I suspect the pressure on Kamala Harris to go. But, um, John, at this point, you know, I guess five and a half years ago, six years ago, when Donald Trump went down the escalator and almost immediately was talking about illegal immigration. Is this um, becoming the, the, the centerpiece issue again? Is it is the most important issue in America right now what's happening at our southern border? Well, uh, it's, it is certainly very important, but I do want to uh, caution your listeners that uh, we can't forget the people who already broke through the border over the, ever since January 20th when Biden became president. So it's not just the people who crossed the border today or yesterday or the day before that, but we've got a million people who have already been resettled all across the United States by the federal government. And, uh, you know, we don't, we don't want to forget about those people. Every one of those people does not belong here. They need to be tracked down, rounded up, and sent back to the countries they came from. And that's hundreds of thousands of people, maybe a million. And uh, so John, it's not just the people John, on the border now, but the people John, who passed through the border since January. John, cannot could the could the Congress pass a law, um, and if it was signed by the president, could they pass a law that says simply um, anyone who came into this country illegally can never be a citizen? I mean, I know some legislature later, Congress later could pass one that says we now say they could. But could they pass a law constitutionally? Could you pass a law that says anybody who entered illegally for any reason can never be a citizen? And alter- and, and again, uh, another another version of this, another ver- related question. Um, we have this birthright citizenship uh, problem where if you're born in if someone is born in America, even like flying through for a tourist uh, stop, the child is a citizen and in comes chain migration. Could the Congress pass a law that says there if you're visiting for any reason uh, and you're not your parents aren't citizens you are not automatically a citizen could that be done by Congress well there are two questions there uh, and I think the the issue of uh, you know children born to illegal aliens uh, you know whether they are automatically US citizens that's the issue that's been debated for a hundred years uh, the Supreme Court has never ruled on that subject. Many of the left think, you know, act that like that's already established and that's in the Constitution. Actually, no. And it's never that exact point, children born to illegal aliens are... Uh, the Supreme Court has never said whether those people have a claim to birthright citizenship. The only case they ruled on that involved legal residents, children born to legal residents who had already been and effectively admitted by our our government, even though the parents were not U.S. citizens yet, but merely legal permanent residents, uh, the equivalent of green cards. Now, the other question you asked, Ed, was what about, you know, the the illegals can, can, does Congress have to pass a law saying they cannot become citizens? Well, uh, of course, you know, illegal aliens cannot become citizens unless they avail themselves of some provision that legalizes their status. And uh, unfortunately, many of them, with the help of 
you know, an army of, of immigration lawyers in the ACLU had figured out various ways to do that. And to pick just one example out of the blue, they might marry someone and obtain citizenship through marriage. Uh, and there are other ways, they call that adjusting their status. And many, many thousands of people who start illegally end up adjusting their status. They should not be allowed to do that. They should be required to go back home and apply from their home country. That's really the way the system was supposed to work. But, you know, it's not being enforced uh, anymore. Uh, the Trump administration tried to enforce those rules, and they achieved a great deal of success during the Trump administration. But Biden... And, and Secretary Mayorkas had every day or every week, it seems like they are overturning or rescinding yet another uh, provision of the Trump administration. So by the time Trump gets back in there, uh, we're going to have to start over again, I'm afraid. Well, all right, let's, let me put that aside now and go back to, so that's what's happening to America. Every day, we've got tens of thousands, you know, the, the number came out, there's uh, almost 1,100 children in cages, Biden's uh, cages, he doesn't call them cages, he calls them like plexiglass uh, something else or whatever, but um, so, and we've got millions of people coming uh, to the country, and um, and yet, very little coverage of the border. Now, maybe there will be some more because of Trump visiting and Kamala visiting, but oh, up in Congress, the fight is over uh, uh, S-1, Senate uh, resolution one or HR House Resolution one, which is this dramatic um, takeover of elections. Uh, basically, um, it would put in place everything that happened in 2020 that was supposed to be because of emergency, which is same day registration and lots of early voting and no signature verification if it's too burdensome and no photo IDs and uh, mail in ballots and drop boxes and everything else. And it would codify that and make it so you, you states could not go, um, stricter, uh, on some things than that. It looks like it's died, John. Um, but it, you know, what's coming? I think you, uh, last night, on the Andrew K show, you were saying, well, there's more behind this. This HR1 is a big deal, but there's more behind it that might just get through, which might be just as bad. Tell us about that. Yes, well, uh, the Democrats are determined to essentially rig the election procedure so that they will never again run the, you know, run the risk of having Trump or someone like him be elected president. I mean, that is their number one priority. So, you know, they're going to come back with a so-called Compromise that they might get Joe Manchin to sign on, which is no real compromise, and it contains many of the same bad provisions. And, you know, for example, Manchin talks about voter ID, but it's not photo ID. So, what we need to have a government issued photo ID like a driver's license, but, you know, even that's really not good enough because we now have hundreds of thousands of people in a dozen states who are illegal aliens, but who have been allowed to get driver's licenses. And so, now, the, those licenses are supposed to have an, a notation on them indicating that they are only, that, that they're not, did not contain proof of citizenship and they're not real IDs. But honestly, I don't know if that, if those forms of ID could be used for uh, voting purposes. Um, so I'm very concerned about that. What we really need is is to go back what Chris Kobach talked about, and which he got passed in Kansas and in Arizona, namely 
that people, when they register to vote, need to prove they're U.S. citizens. And then when they vote, they need to show positive ID. So it's a two-step process. And one by itself isn't good enough uh, because people can get IDs now even if they're not citizens. So the photo ID really isn't proof of citizenship anymore. I mean, it's better than nothing, and we certainly want that. But uh, secure elections require proof that uh, the person is not only who they say they are with the photo ID, but also that they are truly a United States citizen. Uh, and uh, that requires extra paperwork done at the time of they register to vote. So people have got to register to vote and show evidence that they really are a U.S. citizen and, and, and are not uh, one of these hundreds of thousands of people who got uh, ID intentionally by California and other states, uh, even though they weren't citizens. So there's many things we need to do to clean up our uh, voter rolls, including, you know, getting rid of all the people who were registered, you know, years ago but haven't voted recently or haven't updated recently or have or they've moved recently. And we need to allow members of the public to go around and knock on doors to make sure that the people on the voting list, who are, which is a public list, are really living there. Mm-hmm. You know, I think we should have a lot of volunteers that could do that. Now, mind you, um, you know, there will be a lawsuit, uh, you know, accusing those people of suppressing the vote. So we've got to get past the ACLU in order to do that. But there, uh, you know, there are many holes and loopholes in our election system. But, of course, step one is to stop the Democrats from passing H.R. 1, and then step two is to stop them from passing H.R. 4, which is waiting in the wings, which would Hmm. uh, essentially require all states to get their uh, election integrity provisions to be passed by the Justice Department before it can go into effect. So, you know, Um, I'm sure you have many of your listeners, Ed, who care about elections, and we saw what happened last year. And uh, we've just got to have secure elections if we're going to have, you know, a constitutional republic in this country. Yeah, it sure it sure feels at risk, John. All right, John, I got to go. You got to keep writing. I think you need to write twice a week, John. Tell Andy, you guys, there's two of you. You can write twice a week. Your mother did once a week. So, uh, John Schlafly, the Schlafly Report is available over at Phyllis Schlafly, excuse me, phyllisschlafly.com archive there. And it runs every Tuesday, late afternoon, early evening at townhall.com. Check it out there. Thank you, John. We'll take a break, everybody. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Presenting a daily conservative pro-family perspective since 1983 and continuing the legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now here's the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. President Joe Biden claimed in a speech that there's not a single thing a man can do that a woman can't do as well or better. Not a single thing. The reality, of course, is the opposite in competitive sports, and it's unfair to allow male-bodied athletes to invade women's sports. Yet that's exactly what liberals want to do by enabling boys to compete in girls' sports by claiming that they feel more like a girl than a boy. This transgender sports policy runs completely contrary to all objective scientific standards. The policy is based entirely upon the stated feelings of the boy, often a minor, which aren't always the most reliable sources. Yet because of these backwards rules, girls' sports records are being shattered. It's not hardworking girls who shatter these records, but it's boys who are going through a phase where they would rather wear a dress. 
Most transgender tendencies resolve themselves naturally as a youngster matures, and medical intervention to obstruct that outcome is inhumane. In his speech at CPAC in February, Donald Trump declared that young girls and women are incensed that they are now being forced to compete against those who are biological males. That is not good for women. Trump continued, I think it's crazy what's happening. We must protect the integrity of women's sports. And finally, he pointed out that if this is not changed, women's sports as we know it will die and end. Trump is right to sound the alarm in this issue. If conservatives can't even protect girls' sports, what's the point of calling ourselves pro-family? In a heated interview with Governor Jim Justice of West Virginia, MSNBC's Ali Velshi claimed that Governor Justice should be focused on issues like education and poverty instead of transgenderism. Rather than defending his own action to protect girls, Justice went to great lengths to assure her that he didn't really care about the issue too much and they only signed a bill protecting girls' sports because that is what the West Virginia legislature sent him. We don't need smug television personalities like Velshi telling us what issues are and are not important. Instead, we need to stand up for what we know are the important issues of our time. Real conservatives care about real discrimination against real girls. And girls' sports are worth protecting. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report with Ed Martin, president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. These culturally relevant commentaries, along with videos, columns, and bulletins, are waiting for you at phyllisschlafly.com. That's phyllisschlafly.com. Plus, find, follow, and share our news and views on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Parler, Gab, and Twitter. Thanks for listening, and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here in the Pro-America Report. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us tonight. I just got a few minutes because I spent so much time speaking with uh, Pedro Gonzalez and covering some other ground with John Schlafly. So um, here's a story. Here's a story that's worth noting. Um, even the White House and uh, and this president has been stuck uh, having to deal with and having to answer about the violence in our cities. You know, there's all this other stuff. There's all these conversations uh, about uh, critical race theory and the border. All these things are important. Meanwhile, uh, not meanwhile, but at the same time, you know, not to say meanwhile, there's uh, violence in our cities like you've never seen. I mean, never seen. Chicago, eight people shot, five killed on, at 6 a.m. last week. At by 7.30 a.m., the White House was on the phone to the mayor of Chicago talking about it. Mass shootings, other places. By the way, all in cities. You know who runs cities? I've been saying this for a while now. You're probably making everybody mad. You know who runs cities? Generally, our cities are run by liberal white Democrats who are racist because they're letting black kids get killed and black men get killed and black women get killed. They're letting all black kids go to bad schools. These are liberal white Democrat racists. That's who they are. In fact, they don't forget the liberal part. They're white Democrats. They're racists. They're running our cities. Well, Biden is there now. There's coverage, even from somebody like Politico, and they're saying, "Uh "Oh, we 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 got a problem. We we got a big problem. What are we going to do here?" And now here's the trick. (coughs) Pardon me. We got two problems. There is killing, and we should worry about it. But now we have to worry about what's the federal government going to do about it. And here's it's staggering was the quote. It's sobering. Another quote from Deputy Attorney General Lisa Monaco. Remember how I told you at the White House, Joe Biden is the figurehead. The place is being run by Susan Rice, a longtime Obama liberal. 
over the Department of Justice, Merrick Garland is the Joe Biden of the Department of Justice. He's the attorney general in name only, and who's running it is the number two, Lisa Monaco, another avowed Obama leftist, you know, uh, operative. And so she's the one saying it's staggering. It's sobering. It's something the DOJ is committed to do all we can do to reverse. Here we go. Here we go. Watch. Watch what's coming in terms of the solution to the great problem. That, that's what you could be nervous about because it is a problem. And the, you know, the white Democrats in our cities have put us in this position where we're seeing death and seeing bad schools and all the rest. But now Biden administration is going to solve it. What's that going to be? Gun control? Probably. What's it going to be? Uh, you know, uh, it's not going to be cracking down on gangs. Otherwise, they would have done that. It's not going to be cracking down on Antifa. They would have done that. It's going to be gun control or something related to gun control. Watch. Watch them use a crisis to their advantage. It's what they do. It's what they do. You can expect it coming. All right, everybody. Thank you for tuning in. I'll put that up on social media. And uh, I want to say thank you, as always, to Noah, our producer, for keeping everything going. And uh, also to Joanna for booking our guests. And we will be back uh, tomorrow, as always. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Don't forget, visit ProAmericaReport.com to find out more. And I will talk to you tomorrow. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego.